Hello, welcome to Pursuit of Relentless podcast. You've got your host here, Elena. And today, this episode is for me. Uh, So you don't have to listen to it. (laughs) But anyone who suffers from um, grief or loss or frustration, when it comes to uh, restoring your peace of mind, I think this is going to be the episode for you. So today I have Mandy Capehart with me. And she can tell you a lot about herself. But uh, she has how to regain control over grief and stuff like that. And she's written a book called Restorative Grief. And I'm just loving what she's doing. And I know that grief can be a really tough thing to overcome. So I am so glad that you're here with me today and that you're here to help everyone as well. So thanks for being here, Mandy. Absolutely, Elena. It's an honor to be with you guys today. Yeah, awesome. Well, buckle up. Here we go. So how did you get into entrepreneurship? What was uh, what led you to where you're at today? I never wanted to be a grief professional. I always wanted to be an author. And so what ended up spiraling into this career path for me was the COVID pandemic. I had been dealing with grief and loss and writing for most of my life. I I don't really remember uh, a year that we didn't have some type of loss, whether that was a death or a dis, you know a dysfunctional relationship coming to part um, or moving any of those things, we experienced so much loss. And so as I was growing and maturing and healing, I would write my way through that pain and write my way through all kinds of different life experiences as you do as a young, you know, woman in college and trying to figure out where's my goal? What am I doing with my life? And then when we fast forward to the COVID pandemic, I had just lost my mom four years prior, lost my closest grandfather, lost uh, a very, very close, a couple of very close friends and I had a miscarriage myself as well. And so we ended up losing my job in finance at the beginning of, uh, and I think it was March of 2020. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling very strongly that, as I watched the news and realized that our globe was about to be thrust into generations of untended grief, that I didn't want to live in that world. I didn't want to live in an environment or a culture that lacked grief literacy, that misunderstood and continued to cause unintentional harm uh, to grievers because it just didn't know what to do or didn't understand grief or was too busy being afraid of it. And so I started to write the book and it became my career path when about three months later, the book was finished and there was a wildfire that uh, annihilated two of our towns real, really close by. And so it very quickly became a practical, let me see if any of this makes sense or if it's just my story and that's okay if it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ended up turning into a coaching practice that's primarily fire survivors uh, as far as local clients go. And so it became this recognition of finding my way to express myself and what I needed, but also create a foundation where people are able to do that for themselves and then carry that into their communities so that I'm not the guru or the person they go to, but they establish themselves as grief literate humans that can then impact the people they love as well. So that's the uh, unusual, maybe it's typical, I don't know, path into entrepreneurship for me. I love that. It's so interesting how I didn't know that, that you were a part of a wildfire. I was as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2016, there was mm. 2,500 homes approximately in Fort McMurray that were destroyed. And yeah. we were out of town for three months. So yeah. we got evacuated. We went and stayed in my sister-in-law's backyard in our $700 kit camper. 
and mm. from 1977. <laughs> and it was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And you don't think about the aftermath. Like we didn't lose our house, thankfully, but there was that, that, oh, <laughs> super high anxiety. And then yeah. um, fast forward a couple of years, the pandemic happened and literally four weeks into the pandemic, our city flooded. Yeah. And it was like, so there's people with bumper stickers that are like through hell and high water, you know? And it's mm. like, yeah, totally. Because first it burns, now it's flooding, you know? It's just like, why, yeah. why, why is that happening to us when we're five hours away from the closest city, you know? Mm. And it's just crazy. But people don't understand how much that's going to impact them until right. they have to deal with something like that. Right. I think that that's what's really fascinating too, is, is acknowledging after the fact how impactful these things really are. We didn't lose our home either. We evacuated, um, but returned a few days later and it was about the same amount of home loss. I think 25 to 2,800 homes were lost in our Valley as well. And that big why question was really difficult because there was, a accusation and eventual confirmation that it was a man-made fire for us. Mm. And it was, it was hard to witness because you have people who are grieving and with grief events, I try to encourage people not to search for the why mm -hmm. simply because it's irrelevant. It doesn't offer us closure. Yeah. It offers us a source of blame typically, but yeah. blame doesn't bring healing either. It just alleviates this idea that we've done something to ourselves, which you know, I'm actually not that opposed to us examining what we've brought into our lives and why and what why the motivation would be to bring something in if we think it's causing us harm. And so in this instance, it's really difficult to navigate those kinds of losses and that um, like collective group trauma when you think, well, I'm removed from it. My loss was smaller. And so we compare our griefs to one another's and say, well, I don't deserve to grieve as much to grieve as, as deeply as they do because they lost their home. And the truth is, no, we all lost something and our losses are super valid and really important. There's no hierarchy of them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if it matters, let it matter. I think that that's a really easily dismissed statement in the grief professional world, simply because people want to say, well, but a death is more important than losing a friend. Right. Is it? Not really. Uh, moving is less important than a murder. Yeah. Is it? And then I go back to the miscarriage situation. Like yeah. when I lost my first pregnancy, I was just like, oh, not okay. Like not yeah. okay. But I learned so much about myself and like my coping mechanisms and how I, you know, like go to TV to turn my brain off. So I stop thinking, or I go to food to, you know, make myself feel happier at home, you know, or comfortable. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy because when you're in those moments, you're just like trying to get by and you're trying to survive and you're just like, okay, my life is over. <laughs> you know, like this, what that was my entire dream was to be a mom. And that was just like, yes, I'm going to be a mom. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh no. Oh no. Like this is really bad. And you don't realize how painful it is until you're through it and you've reflected back on like how much you've grown since that opportunity. Well, yeah. I shouldn't call it an opportunity, opportunity to learn, you know, right. but 
yeah, after my second one, I was just like, I can do this, right? It's it's so different, but at the same time, everyone's going to deal with stuff differently. And even just like going through the pandemic, for example, it's everyone has suffered. Every single person has suffered. There's been excess amounts of grief and confusion and frustration and anxiety and depression and uh, separation and all of that kind of stuff. And we're human and humans need connection. Like that is one of our core human needs. And so to remove that completely, it does cause issues. And yet if we don't face those, it could cause long-term damage. Yeah. I think going back to what you said about it's an opportunity it's funny you say that because so many people will frame it that way, especially in my experience with professionals in this, in this industry, there's a lot of let's find the purpose in your pain language that comes around. And that is a really difficult perspective because it's not the first or the last grief event we'll experience. And so to that, like pointing out, yeah, you had a second miscarriage and you approached it differently. Well, that's because grief is a spiral. It's not linear. Mm -hmm. We are, through everything we experience in life and in grief spiraling in a way that we are either expanding and including what served us and bringing with us things that were valuable, despite knowing they came from a place of loss, uh, or we are spiraling downward and really caving in on ourselves and feeling trapped and, uh, limited in our ability to even understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the more time that we spend learning about loss and learning about the way that we appreciate ourselves and appreciate our own stories, we can pull out things that that do feel like opportunity, but they're not necessarily saying this is only because this person died or I had this loss that I experienced this. Right. Because the truth is, um, I, I'm a big believer that if we're meant to experience something in life, we will experience it. It's how we show up for it that really makes a difference. Yeah. Um, and with grief, we have the choice of, we, we will all experience it. We don't have a choice of that, but uh, we have the choice on how we show up for it. And the more time that we spend like observing ourselves and taking a step back and asking some compassionately curious questions over offering judgment or, or accusation, or again, going back to someone to blame, uh, the more opportunity we have, I think, to really integrate what is true and of our story and who we are today after a loss, then um, rather than just shoving it aside and coping continuously and trying to pretend that it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find that there's days that I just, I'm like in all black and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> I'm grieving today. Or like, you're just like, Oh, sitting in the bath and you're just like sad and you're like, why am I sad right now? Like, I have no reason to be sad at this exact moment, but it's like one little thing will pop into your head and you can't stop that thing from coming into your head. But like mm -hmm. you said, it's that decision on how you're going to cope with it or how you're going to use that to learn something about yourself or something like that. But I think it's yeah. really important to sit in those moments and go, hey, what is what? what can I, what can I get out of this? Right. It might not be a learning moment, but it's just reframing. This is what's happening. And it's okay that that's happening. Like, it's okay. If you need to cry, it's okay. If you need to go and talk to somebody, right. That's all super healthy ways of getting it 
out, right? Putting that pain out there for yourself and just going, hey, you don't have to internalize that, right? And I think mm-hmm. having that support is so important. Yeah, the uh, grief communities that we've been able to build in the last few years through my work has been, I don't mean this flippantly, life-changing in a way that I didn't fully expect. I think a lot of people are very hesitant about like grief support groups because they do feel pedantic and they do feel repetitive. And, and I think difficulty in that is that we don't necessarily know how to hold space for ourselves, let alone others as they're grieving. And so learning how to create psychologically safe environments for people who are grieving it takes learning how to do that for ourselves as well. And so a lot of the focus of my work has become the Restorative Grief Project, which is just an online free grief program or grief group, really, uh, of people who are learning some content and integrating language about grief into their lives. But more than that, they're watching and learning how to respond without minimizing or spiritually bypassing someone's loss. Um, and that language, that experience of integrating an entirely new vocabulary when it comes to grief is really daunting. And so in that respect, I think the community aspect is really powerful, not just trying to resolve or again, find closure, but trying to expand who we are in a way that invites us to become curious and hopeful again in places that we probably would otherwise just give up on. Mm-hmm. So I would love to go back to holding space for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Is there any tips or tricks that you can give people that are like, okay, A, I need to get a hold of your group. <laughs> like, let's get in there. Um, but like, how can they start that process of just holding that space for themselves? I think it comes first with recognizing that you're worth having those boundaries and space for yourself that where people don't get access to you in a way that you may have given them access before. And uh, from my experience coming from a faith community, grief events are formulaic to a degree. We have this shared belief system, which in a, in a sense prescribes how we should respond. And I say should in parentheses, because there's no prescription of what grief looks like for any one of us. And so to believe otherwise is pretty foolish, but, um, And I include my own work in that. I try very hard not to say, well, it looks like this for everyone because it doesn't. Mm -hmm. But um, recognizing the value of our story means looking at faith communities or the community that we're in and saying, I don't need support from everyone here. I need to know what I need. And a lot of times that is a very impossible thing to nail down. And so um, I think grief literacy is the thing that gives us the language ahead of a grief event Mm -hmm. that where we can recognize who is in our life for a very intentional, like invited in, knows the secrets, knows our hardest struggles and our pains that we trust with our vulnerable selves. Because when grief does show up at the table, there will be a lot of people offering condolences and encouragement, but it doesn't necessarily feel encouraging or uh, warm and fuzzy. It often feels forced or formulaic. And, And that's not the intention. I will not ever say, oh, people are performing to try and look like good grief supporters. I think people are trying to be meaningful grief supporters without knowing what that actually means to the individual. And so when it comes to creating space for yourself, I'm a big fan of practicing that ahead of time, knowing what is meaningful to you. What are your values? Who are you as an individual that 
in this season for whatever reason right now, what are your like two or three most important values? And do the people around you support those values? Do they see you and encourage you to chase after them? Are they people who resonate with those values? Whatever that is, because when we can find those people as we're grieving, we can find the people who will stick with us as we go through the waves of, oh, I'm feeling okay today, or nope, grief is extremely acute. I can't get out of bed. I have no appetite and everything is worthless. You know, the the big swings that that do come no matter who you are or how long it's been. So really knowing your values and doing some of that intentional work ahead of time, getting to know yourself and being honest about what hurts and what sucks and what's difficult is insightful for us to do any work that is meaningful on the other side of grief. Yeah. Do you see that people that are dealing with grief are having issues with their families or their friends and stuff? Um, because of the way that they're dealing with their grief, or is it more just like they, their family members are kind of just like trying to support them, but don't necessarily know what to do or like how to respond to that? What do you see normally? Yeah, I think that's a great question because the short answer is yes, I see impossible communication styles left and right in family members. And I'll go with my own story. My mom died in 2016 and I have a sister and, and couple of aunts and uncles and my grandmother is still with us. And it was traumatic to say the least. And we were all together right before she died. And we were all together at the day she died and for the following week. And, um, in the years following her death, the way each one of us processed was fascinating. So the anthropologist in me took a step back and observed and realized I'm not able to talk to most of the people in the family because they want to talk about my mom, but they also don't, or they're not sure how to do it. And at the time I didn't want to talk about my mom, just the thought of her, her, even her face, I couldn't do it. It was too painful. Mm -hmm. And, and so we avoided each other, not out of a, I can't talk to you attitude way, but in a, we don't know what to do or how to talk about it. And so it was about two years in that I finally said, listen, we're going to spread her ashes. We're going to go together. It's going to be Easter. We're going to go make this happen. And uh, I'm not taking no for an answer. So everyone show up. We're done dicking around, excuse me, with this because none of us are healing and Mm -hmm. no one's talking and we're going to go do this thing. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up um, doing that. We went out to Whidbey Island, where we also spread my grandfather's ashes. We hadn't done anything with his loss either um, from a few years earlier. And it was interesting because of everyone there, they asked me to speak. They asked me to be the one to go into the ocean and spread their ashes um, afterwards. Goosebumps. Yeah, it was it was fascinating. The whole thing, even just reflecting back and thinking about like, that was really the start of me recognizing, okay, there is something in the water in this family that I can stir that they have given me access to, to step into Mm -hmm. in a way that is not forceful, but it's gentle and invitational. And yeah, I said, you're coming and there's no excuses, but it was, (laughs) it was really a, can we do this? I need this. And I need you all with me. And they answered that call. And so I think in families, we really fear offending one another And we've got baggage of previous offenses toward one another. So we don't necessarily cross that line and say, well, this is actually what I need. And I need you to be okay with that. I need you to love me really well. 
regardless of what your opinion looks like, or regardless of your desire for me to behave or act differently, I need you to love me really well. Cause right now my values are X, Y, Z, and they're not being addressed or honored as valid. And that's not yes. fair because they're, they're valid. They're totally valid. So mm. yeah, family it, and it, it, the same is true of friend circles to a degree, but family is really difficult because we've got mm -hmm. so many expectations and um, assumed not responsibility, but we assume, especially as parents, that we have access and rights to access our children, um, or maybe siblings have a right. And the truth is we only have a right to access people that we've been invited to access. Mm -hmm. And family is just the same exact thing. We can choose to impl implement a boundary and say no, um, or yes. invite people in deeper. And so I think that that it's convoluted, but it's also pretty straightforward if we can kind of, like I said earlier, take a step back and become curious about it and say, well, what, what in this is serving well and what in this is causing harm? Yeah, I 100% resonate with that. I had one of my sisters actually tell me that I deserve to have a miscarriage because I don't want to get vaccinated for COVID-19. Oh. And I'm like, where did that come from? You know, I'm just like yeah. sitting there trying to understand the logic or how she's coming across. And I'm like, dude, like, can't we just have a conversation and understand that we just don't agree on the same things and that's okay. You know, I'm like, I have a heart condition. I don't want to get the vaccine. I work from home. You know, I'm like, I literally don't go anywhere. I don't see anybody. Like, why do I have to get this thing? And she's like, well, if you can't do that, you're an uneducated, can't understand basic logic redneck who shouldn't be dealing with people's money. And I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? Right. And I'm just sitting there going, I, I wish that we could just have a conversation about this instead of it being a year now that we haven't spoken. Right. And I'm just like, why, why does it have to be that way? It doesn't. I understand that she's going to deal with trauma different than I am or grief. And it's just like, why can't, why can't we have a conversation or like be sisters? You know, I'm like, we're supposed to love each other unconditionally. I can't be okay with being treated that way. Like I have to set a boundary going, no, we can speak. I love you. But at the same time, I won't put up with that. You know what I mean? Like I don't deserve to be treated that way. So I set up that boundary for myself and I'm like, I'm sorry, but I'm just not, I'm not going to play that game, you know? And I think that's so sad and divisive. And I'm just like, why can't we just all understand that people deal with things differently mm -hmm. and that's okay. Right. Or like people can make different decisions that you don't agree with. And again, that's okay. It's to each their own. So like, I don't, I don't think it's right to just like mm -hmm. kibosh people. But at the same time, I understand that sometimes that's a coping mechanism, right? Or like being aggressive like that is a coping mechanism. And I'm like, okay, well, how can I still pour in love from a distance and not judge and not, you know, try and be harmful towards her, for example, um, and I know she'd be really mad if she knew I was talking about it, but guess what? I got to get over it too. Right. So I think you're the perfect person to talk to about it. So thank you for being my sounding board. Um, cause it hurt, it hurt bad. Right. Well, and I think that working from a perspective of remembering, like you said, everyone's kind of in coping mechanism mode. It's often an act of self-protection. So I could even 
walk down that statement you said she told you about if you can't see this, then you're just this X, Y, Z person and think, well, she's thinking from a grief perspective of it, of this global grief and do your part to be a community citizen and eliminate or prevent future harm from other people. Like I can walk down that argument Me too. in the same direction. I can walk down yours. Right. And when you have this innate default of self-protection, which we all do, um, but some of us operate more aggressively within it than others. We stop recognizing the impact we have on other people when yeah. we are trying simply to stay safe in our psychologically safe in our own world. And I think that um, no boundaries are necessary and experiencing a boundary needing to be strengthened or brought closer to ourselves um, with family members is extremely difficult because to your point, like, Oh, they're supposed to love me unconditionally. Well, yes, no. I, no. Yeah. I don't actually know the answer to that. I, I right. would probably lean toward no because I want to believe the best about everyone around us. I want to believe that we're working towards wholeness and integration with the people around us and working toward connection because everything we do is either bringing us closer to or further from who we are and who we're becoming. Um, and in addition to that, closer to or further from the people around us and our understanding and connection with spiritual things and the world as a whole. And so when I look at actions on that, I say, okay, this person is attempting to create disconnect or distance. I get to honor that even though it sucks and it hurts and I hate it and I don't want to do it mm -hmm. um, in both directions. And I think that that becomes an, not an opportunity again, but it becomes a moment where we put a rock on the ground and say, this is a, a place I will remember that I made a choice. I'm going to continue to move toward this person and honor the boundary they've set, whatever that looks like mm -hmm. with compassion to say, I am curious about what you want and what you need and what your values are right now, because what I want and need seems in conflict with yours. And I get that. That's okay. It's actually super normal for people to experience, but if we want to continue to restore those relationships face to face with people, we have to be willing to concede that we're not seeing them just like they're not seeing us. Yeah. Beautiful. Ah, that's like my own personal therapy session. So thank you. Um, <laughs> there's so much that I want to dig into there, but I just think that there's so much to learn, right? Like you said, the vocabulary, how to talk to yourself, how to talk to other people, how to be present with yourself and, analyze these thoughts and these feelings and stuff that you're going through. And like you said, every single grief experience is going to be different and it's going to be different for everyone. So just don't, don't think that it's always a personal attack on you, for example. Like, mm -hmm. obviously at first I was like, I am offended. Well, right. yeah, I was freaking offended, like super offended. But at the same time, I'm sitting there going, where's this coming from? Like, can I understand it a little bit more? Right. Mm -hmm. And like offer love at the same time as trying to understand it and trying not to be offended. Um, but I think there's a lot of people who are dealing with this type of struggle, for instance, in their communities and stuff like that as well. So if someone is struggling with that stuff, what would you suggest mm -hmm. that they start with? I would suggest starting with themselves. And again, going back to understanding what their values are in this season, it's not going to be the list of 40, you know, characteristics that you want to hold on to. It's yeah. not 
those things that you think you should aspire to do all the time. It's in this season of life. What are the two or three things that are most important to you? Like right now, mine are consistency, movement, and laughter. And that's new as of last week. Mm. And that means that in all the things I'm doing, even just for today, am I aligning with the values of laughter or joyfulness, movement, and consistency? And if I'm not, that's okay. I don't get to judge myself just because that's our natural tendency to criticize and condemn and then shame ourselves into movement. My permission to myself in those moments is to say, well, okay, if this is the value that I have, but this is what's causing me harm, is it violating one of my values? If this community member is consistently pissing me off or crossing a line or whatever it is, or I just don't like them, they've got to be violating something I hold as really important and crucial in life. Mm -hmm. Becoming curious about that allows us to figure out how we're showing up too, because we're always showing up with our filters of you caused me harm and, you know, accusation and self-protection. You did this thing. You're this way. This is why I'm mad. And the truth is, well, actually I need to do some work and figure out why I'm mad because you tell me to be quiet every day. Well, all I'm doing is finding joy in life and laughing. And you constantly telling me to shut up hurts hmm, yeah. because my value of laughter clearly is in conflict with whatever you value, which I don't know, silence, respect. Maybe it turns out I'm unintentionally disrespecting someone by just existing as a joyful person because they're in pain. And until I can become curious and move towards myself, I will not be able to compassionately move towards someone else in that regard. So the, um, the internet has ruined us for this because it allows us to do hot takes and pithy little short statements and accusations. And they come from this place of stirring ourselves up with anger and assumption based on what we think is true of another person. Um, and when we can only go off what they present online, we have to, we, we usually do a really poor job guessing about a person because most people don't know themselves super well. And the way they present themselves is, you know, reflective of what they want from others or reflective of pain or, you know, just misunderstanding. And I'm, I'm going a little off track because I'm thinking about specific scenarios that I'm like, Oh, witnessing some interactions. And I just, I'm like, if you all both could just stop talking and admit that you're grieving something and that you guys hit each other's buttons, you would heal. You well, yeah. you would find healing. You would start moving toward one another or away if that's more important or what would actually be healing is distance. Um, but you're too busy insulting and being offended. And yeah. okay, do what you need to do to self-protect, but like don't blame the world for not helping you move through that when you are deeply comfortable with that self-protection. Mm. There's a little rant, sorry. Oh, I'm just like, check. <laughs> like, I need to write that stuff down. Because yeah, it is It is hard to not stay offended. It's hard to not like just be angry and frustrated and, yeah. you know, in those negative emotions. And yet, if you can just take the 5,000 foot view, right? And just yeah. look at the whole situation and then work on it from there. Beautiful. There's an exercise that I did. Um, it was a podcast that I listened to. I'm trying to think of the guy's name, Mike Bauer and Ed Milet. And uh, the podcast is about just discovering who your best self is and naming those things that make you tick. So for yourself, consistency, movement and laughter or joyfulness, yeah. those would be some of the positive things that you're trying to accomplish with your best self version of you. 
And then the worst self version of you. For me, it's like that lazy side or like the person who's just like messy or disorganized or something like that, that I'm like, okay, I'm trying to step away from being that person and step into being organized and consistent and joyful and happy. Right. And so I like doing those kind of exercises and I've redone mine a couple of times because I look at it and I go, "Mm, that's no longer that version of me. Like I'm a different version of me. And Mm -hmm. when I was going back and looking at that old version of myself, I was getting really discouraged. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I got to change this, (laughs) right? Like I got to fix it. Uh, Because I'm a fixer. Sometimes it's an ADHD thing. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so I went through it again. And I did the same exercise. And I like both sides of the story now. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. yes, I can be lazy sometimes, but it's strategic. Right. And it's not that I'm being my worst self today. No, I don't need to be frustrated and angry and short with people and um, a non-listener. Right. I want to work towards being this happy, healthy, wealthy, free version of myself Mm -hmm. that is focused on leadership and helping others and helping myself and loving myself. Right. And so I think that exercise helped me a lot when it came to just discovering what my core values were. And like you said, in this season, because I know that seasons change and there's going to be something that's valuable to you today that maybe in 10 years isn't. So, yeah, I also think, too, the language you use, just if I can push back a little bit on lazy and disorganized or messy or whatever it was. To me, those language, that language isn't helpful because it is it's accusatory mm-hmm. and not curious. So when I'm in a space where I'm feeling really like lethargic and disconnected from the things that like the high energy performative um, action taker that I am, I have gotten to a place where I say, well, I'm actually responding to a stressor in my life that I'm just responding in a way that doesn't fuel me. That's really poorly um yes poorly framed with what i want and so when i hear that that word specifically lazy for me i hear it and i think well actually you're probably guarding yourself against something else so what could you be guarding against that doesn't make you the worst but makes you really really self protective and really concerned that you're going to lack energy or you lack connection or you lack emotional capacity Um, And again, that just goes back to language, I think, because we are used to having people say, well, you're just being lazy. And certainly speaking to ADHD, you're being scattered. Or could you just focus? Or could you just make a list? All those really (laughs) pithy, unloving pieces of advice that are pretty irrelevant to someone with ADHD. Um, Those are all things that we're used to just saying, internalizing and saying, well, if I could just make a list, if I could just do this differently, then things would be fine. And Yet, we go through systems where they're just really not fine. So I really appreciate hearing how you are recognizing, like looking back and saying, oh, that's actually not reflective of me and who I am right now. So let's reevaluate where I'm headed and what I want and know that that is something that should be changing and does evolve in all of us instead of holding so tightly to this version of ourselves that we expected Um, to continue. And that happens a lot with grievers too. We have this Mm -hmm. secondary loss of self where we don't recognize who we've become on the other side of a loss. And that's expected because we're not the same person. So getting to know ourselves and getting to understand 
where we're headed and why we're headed that direction and what we want out of it is really, really important. I love that. Just getting to know ourselves. I'm like, "Mm -hmm." Mm mm-hmm. Because it's true. Like after you've had a grieving moment or like an experience that you have to go through that is hard, it's, it changes you. Like, Mm -hmm. Dude, Mm -hmm. to the fact that like my body odor has changed since I had a miscarriage and I'm like, yeah, I don't like the smell of myself anymore. And I'm like, that's Mm -hmm. not something I could change. You know, I'm like, this is just, it is how it is. And hopefully with the next pregnancy, it'll be different. Right. But Mm -hmm. it's just discovering who you are again and just going, okay, this is Elena 3.0 or 4.0 or 5.0. Right. And just going, okay, well, what emotions do I want to feel on a regular basis? And I think when you can dig into what emotions you want to feel like consistency, that would be dedication as well. Mm-hmm. Um, or the laughter side of things, joyfulness. Like if you want to feel that emotion, what are you doing to do that on a daily basis? Right. Or health, yeah. moving your body. I'm going to Pilates next, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's go get into that core because I avoid it. You know, and sometimes you just need someone's help to help you get into those places where you're avoiding and you're you're trying to, you know, like you said, protect yourself or put up barriers. And Mm -hmm. I think that when you can ask for help and be okay with asking for help and being okay with being vulnerable to um, open up and just go, okay, I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to take it in. I'm ready to overcome this frustration and guilt or the blame aspect of things. Right. And you can just yeah, find peace with yourself, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I think that really starts with, uh, recognizing that emotions are not bad or good. They're not yes. moralized. They're just morally there. neutral and they're information. Yeah. And so we say like, Oh, being angry is bad. It's not, it's mm-hmm. telling you that there's something unjust happening yeah. to you or the people around you. And that emotion deserves the attention it needs just to not even move it, not only to move it through your body and, and make sure that it's released, but really to understand it and recognize that emotions are helpful little tools that we've been given. We've been given this ability to gain insight and experience life in a very visceral way. And often we will get stuck in the thought process of, well, this is a bad emotion. So when it comes up, I'm going to stuff it down and cope. And then I'm going to feel bad that I coped. And so I'm going to think, well, there needs to be a better way with this emotion, but I don't know how to do it because I'm too busy saying this is a bad emotion. I'm going to stuff it down when it comes and it's very cyclical. And so I think approaching emotions specifically from a different perspective can really give us that sense of empowerment and to a degree, a sense of control back over what we're going through and what we've lost or, um, fear losing and everything in between. Mm, Beautiful. So if someone were to run into you at a Starbucks, for example, and just go, Mandy, I listened to your podcast with Elena. It was awesome. I loved it. I got so much out of it, but what did I miss? What, what is the one thing that you would tell people that are struggling or people that, uh, want to move forward and feel good again? Um, what would that be? Hmm. That's a good question. I think I would say it's not about moving to a place where we don't experience our grief or our losses anymore. It's about learning to move into our lives in a way that we integrate the grief story and the wholeness of who we are into the identity that we inhabit these days. 
because like we said before, we're always shifting and changing. And if we are paying attention, we are evolving into a more full, whole, loving, centered version of ourselves that is creating that same atmosphere of growth around us. And so when it comes to grief, because we've been so grief avoidant and our culture, at least Western culture is highly grief avoidant, the more that we engage grief and become curious about it and learn the language and decide to be uncomfortable, the more we are going to bring healing into our ongoing lives because healing is not a destination. It's an ongoing experience that does not end. Yeah. Boom. I love it. So I know everyone else did too. Um, Where can people get more access to you? Yeah, great question. So mandycapehart.com is my website. It has access to our Restorative Grief Project, which is hosted on Facebook. I have Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart is my weekly podcast with interviews and essays, um, as well as a premium subscription now with extra content. And I'm active on Instagram and Twitter under at Mandy Capehart. Beautiful. Thank you so much yeah. for being here today. Thank I know you. that I clearly have a lot of work to do and it's a process. So I look forward to keeping in contact. And We're all out. same. We yeah. all have it. <laughs> That's it though. And just being yeah. okay with it. Like you said, yeah. um, deciding to be uncomfortable, deciding to go, okay, I am willing to be uncomfortable to work through it. And I mean, like you said, it's not work over it it's work through it and just go into those hard places and do the hard work and discover what really matters to you because maybe it is walking into the ocean and spreading your mom's ashes and that's what's Mm. what it's going to take right maybe that's what it's going to take for me I wrote a letter to my baby and that really helped me a lot right and it's just I find that when you can just be present with yourself and go hey how am I doing right now and how am I really, as Jenna Kutcher would say, how am I really? And just working through it and going, okay, today's a new day I've never lived before. And I'm going to be present in this moment and practice like love and abundance for myself. Um, and I think that's really powerful. So thank you again for today. I've really, really got a lot of value out of this conversation. Absolutely. It's been an honor to come and speak with you and your audience. And I am so grateful to have this conversation as many times as people will have me to talk about loss because we need it. We do. Everyone deals with it. So why not deal with it together? Right? Pretty much. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys, if you got value out of today, make sure that you go and show Mandy some love. I know that I did. So I'll be subscribing to her Facebook page as well. And working through some of my own shit. <laughs> right? So Bring it on. that is Pursuit of Relentless today signing out. Have an awesome one. We'll see you next time.